0: Hello and welcome to the weekly Investor Insights Call. Throughout the call, all participants will be in listen only mode. And just to remind you, this conference call is being recorded. Today, I'm pleased to present Gavin Ralston and Azad Zangana. Please go ahead with your meeting. Thank you very much, Jerry. And welcome from me to this week's call to those of you listening live, those who are listening to the recording, and those of you who've downloaded the podcast. Our guest this week is Azad Zangana, who will, in his inimitable style, be able to update us on the latest Schroeder view on several recent macro developments. Last week with Philippe, uh, our conversation focused really on the renewed bond bull market and how the fixed income team was responding. That bull market is somewhat less intact today than it was a week ago, but we're still talking about uh, 10-year yields in the U.S. at 247 and German bonds still with a small negative yield. In fact, the German government managed to secure funding last week on negative yields. However, bonds fell on Monday of this week thanks to stronger manufacturing data from both the U.S. and perhaps significantly China, and the U.S. yield curve is no longer inverted. This lends weight to the view we discussed last week that though growth is slow, fears of an outright recession are probably overdone. In the equity markets, uh, equities initially moved in the opposite direction to bonds when yields, uh, rose, yields fell sharply 10 days ago, but um, equities have regained their balance and ended the week up and were strong again on Monday. This means that as we look back at the returns in the first quarter, the, the ACQUI index, the world index is up over 12%, emerging markets 10%, China uh, a remarkable 33% and even the UK and Europe, 9 and 12% respectively. So as I mentioned the UK, uh, it seems like the markets here are staying calm despite the lack of clarity on Brexit. Uh, The the dollar sterling rate is almost exactly where it was a week after the referendum in 2016. Uh, Yesterday, on Monday evening, Parliament rejected four softer alternatives to the Prime Minister's plan. So what happens next?
1: Well, that's a very good question. I think um, it, it's one that everybody is is trying to answer uh, at the moment without uh, a great deal of joy. There's a lot of confusion as to how the process will continue given that Parliament has now essentially wrestled control over the, of the process from uh, the government. So um, Theresa May is no longer uh, calling the shots. Parliament is, is the one that's in charge and, and uh, bringing about these indicative votes to see where there might be some kind of majority, which um, unsurprisingly, there isn't. Parliament is is very split in terms of what it wants to do. There's a lot of uh, tribalism at the moment, people not backing certain options because they they don't fit with what they are trying to uh, achieve. Now, in terms of where we are today, um, obviously, Theresa May's uh, meaningful vote three, as we call it, the third attempt to get the withdrawal agreement through, uh, failed last week. That means that um, the UK has until the end of the 11th of April to go to um, Europe with a a solution. Otherwise, on the 12th of April, the UK will leave without uh, a deal. Um, there has been a an emergency meeting called uh, of EU leaders for the 10th of April. Presumably, the UK must then present its options at that point. There may have to be another meaningful vote the following day. If that fails to pass at that final point, then I think that's, that's it for Brexit. It will be a, a no-deal crashing out of the EU. And I think maybe at that point, we might start seeing quite a bit more volatility in, in, in
0: markets. Yeah, but so far, um, as I mentioned, the market impact of Brexit has been remarkably limited. Mm. Uh, equities moved pretty much in line with global equities. The currency hasn't moved, but obviously yeah. that next week will be a, could be a crunch point where things... Do begin to change. That's right.
1: Although there hasn't been, there isn't a majority for any single option at the moment. There is a clear uh, preference for a softer exit, certainly softer than the government was initially uh, moving towards. And there's also quite a significant number uh, of MPs supporting a second referendum, which in itself could also bring back the option of remaining in the EU. Um, so. Um, I think for the moment, because all these votes are only indicative, they're not. They're not. Um, they wouldn't hold the government to, to following these options if, if they did go through. I think most investors are holding off, just waiting
0: for that clarity. But what about the impact on the real economy? What What do you see? What impact do you see Brexit having on growth in the UK, but also perhaps in the rest of Europe?
1: Well, certainly on the UK, we've been seeing it for a while now. We've had four consecutive quarters of uh, falling business investments. Um, Clearly, companies are holding back until they have some clarity on what what happens. Households have also started to cut back on their spending. Uh, They were leveraging up quite a bit, but now they've pulled back. If Brexit goes well, uh, in that there is some kind of deal struck, we would expect the pound to appreciate against uh, both the dollar and the euro, uh, maybe against the dollar up to about 140. Um, That would be helpful in lowering inflation in the UK. I think that would be very good for... For consumers. Um, but if it goes the wrong way, uh, the pound would probably fall to around 110, 112 uh, against the dollar. That pushes up import price inflation quite significantly, squeezes the household sector, and is quite likely to cause a recession in the UK uh, in that scenario. Now, for Europe, um, the difficulty for them is that in the near term, they have already started making plans To bring forward uh, manufacturing shutdowns, uh, which normally happen through the summer for maintenance, they decided to bring these forward into this month because they assumed that Brexit would be happening. Um, Obviously, that hasn't been the case, so they're now closing down a little bit sooner than uh, expected. Mm -hmm. The idea being that if demand was to suddenly collapse, they could then uh, delay the the restarting of production uh, later on. Um, If there is a messy Brexit, then there will be some disruption to trade. But uh, beyond that, over the medium term, I think Europe will be fine, really. This is very much a UK issue. Okay, let's let's move to the global
0: scene. Um, Growth expectations fell over the first three months of the year. That was reflected in the bond yield. Where do you stand now on the growth outlook for the US and expectations for what the Fed will do next? Yes, yeah, so we published
1: our latest uh, economic uh, forecast uh, okay. only uh, recently and uh, we found ourselves, actually we didn't change the uh, the forecast for this year, we, we left it at 2.4% for the US um, and in fact we, we revised up the forecast slightly uh, for 2020 up to 1.6%. But we are still below the consensus and the consensus is still drifting
0: um, lower, uh, so
1: it's It's not as if we've suddenly become bullish on the U.S. We're still quite cautious uh, in that the slowdown um, is coming uh, through. And really the reasons for that is the rolling off of the fiscal stimulus that's had uh, been introduced at the end of 2017, start of 2018. That's coming to an end uh, towards the back end of this year. So that stimulus fades. Uh, We've also had piping, of course, of monetary policy.
0: Um, That's uh,
1: an important uh, component uh, as well. Looking ahead, um, in terms of um, where we expect uh, monetary policy to go, we've actually uh, taken out the rate rises we had forecast for the Fed for this year. We now think the Federal Reserve will remain on hold all of this year, and then we'll follow up by cutting interest rates twice next year. And how does that view compare with consensus market expectations? I think it's pretty close to market expectations now. Um, Certainly, uh, as the yield curve inverted recently, that that stopped to reflect that view um, there. Um, So I I don't don't think we're that different anymore
0: from the market. And and a lot of commentators talked about the consequences of the inversion of the yield curve. What what do you read into the shape of the yield curve?
1: Well, as I'm sure Philippe uh, highlighted uh, last week, the... uh, the shape of the yield curve uh, can be quite a powerful predictor of future recession risk. Um, certainly, since, since I think the nineteen seventies, pretty much every curve inversion has been followed eventually by a, uh, a recession in, in the economy. Although that doesn't mean that um, equities don't do well through that period; they mm-hmm. they can perform quite well in the final few months before that recession uh, hits, but. Um, I mean, for us, I think it, it really signals that we're coming into or very close to the slowdown phase of the economic cycle. So this is where growth is coming down, um, but uh, inflation is still rising because, we, of course, we have a limited spare capacity uh, in the economy. One of the things you wrote about
0: in the latest monthly was the, the consequences of the growth outlook for corporate profits, for economic profits. Mm. And equity obviously done pretty well so far this year it seems like they're remarkably calm in the face of what looks like a pronounced slowdown in profits
1: growth. Mm. Well, the <coughs> slowdown is starting to come through. Um, well, certainly, I mean, we had quite a major fiscal <coughs> stimulus last year with the cuts in corporation tax, which uh, artificially boosted profit. So they were naturally coming off in any case. Um, but beyond that, we're also seeing a bit more of a slowdown, uh, <coughs> including in Europe, which, of course, wasn't artificially lifted last year. Um, the, I think... What we're expecting is as GDP growth slows, that, has, uh, that causes um, capacity utilization to fall and profitability of companies also uh, to slow. Um, we, we've got inflation still going on in the background, although it's not been as pronounced as previously thought. But you should get that margin squeeze uh, eventually coming through in, in the data. It is worth mentioning, though, that um, you know profitability over the last say, six to nine months, so it's been perfectly fine. It's been growing at a reasonably good pace. That hasn't stopped the market selling off. The market has been derating through this whole period, possibly in anticipation of the slowdown, which we've just spoken about. Um, but it, it's important to remember that uh, you know it, it's not just driven by profitability, it's also the market sentiment. The yeah, market. and possibly
0: also in the, the latter months of 2018, by the anticipation of the Fed being much more aggressive and raising rates than now looks at all likely. Absolutely, absolutely. Can can you talk a bit about the latest inflation numbers in the U.S. and Europe? I mean, again, lots of people have been concerned about inflation at some point in the cycle, but there seems to be no sign yet that it's uh, a problem.
1: Well, um, headline inflation has been coming down for a while, and that was largely expected because of the fall in oil prices towards the back end of uh, last year. Um, What has been a bit more surprising has been core inflation being a little bit softer than expected. Um, I mean, by this point in time in the economic cycle, we should be seeing um, higher core inflation thanks to uh, very limited spare capacity uh, there. We're slowly starting to see wage inflation picking up, but that doesn't seem to be feeding through to higher prices from firms. They don't seem to be confident enough to pass on uh, those increases. Now, it might be that there's actually more spare capacity than we previously thought, or it might be more to do with more secular trends around the the, the rise in internet shopping, for example, mm-hmm. or uh, other drivers that are that are weighing on, on global price trends. It's hard to say, uh, but the uh, disappointment, and when I say disappointment, the lower inflation that we're seeing than previously expected, um, certainly gives central banks cover to delay uh, raising interest rates, or even actually just pausing altogether for now, and your forecasts
0: don't suggest any significant change to the inflationary environment uh
1: no, not really i mean we, we still have um headline u s inflation picking up from uh one point nine percent this year on average up to two point three percent next year uh, that's slightly above the consensus of two point two but you know at this point in time, the cycle with such uh low interest rates, you would normally be forecasting. Three four percent inflation, and we're not concerned by uh, the, the the sort of risk of much higher inflation. If anything, the risks are skewed to the downside at the minute.
0: And wage
1: inflation, wage inflation again, it's a similar story. We, we should have really seen wage inflation rising by uh, much more than we have done already.
0: Um,
1: we're starting to see signs of a pickup, but it's still very slow. And the concern is that as uh, GDP growth slows next year. that might interrupt the gains on on the wage inflation side um, what 's been interesting is that um, it, you know the participation rates in the labor markets have been rising by more than most had expected so clearly there has been that additional spare capacity than uh, you know would have been otherwise the case on uh, the previous cycles. People are working uh, for longer in in terms of e- within their beyond retirement age and so on part-time workers is, is, is increasing as well um, a number of workers are increasing their hours moving from part-time to full-time so that capacity ended up actually being there
0: let's talk a bit more about europe uh the ecb eased policy as the fed did in recent months uh, you have to pay to lend money to the german government um, how bad is the growth outlook in europe
1: it's um, certainly becoming more and more of a concern. We have, for for some time now, um, referred to temporary factors as, as being the cause of the weakness in the second half of last year. Um, and to a certain extent, they haven't totally passed. So there are still some temporary factors um, ongoing. For example, some of the German manufacturers had seen strikes uh, locally, which interrupted supply chains um, in the first a couple of months of the year. But at the same time, there's still quite a lot of external weakness, and that's showing up in the trade data and in the uh, PMI data, especially for the manufacturers. And that's because European manufacturing, particularly
0: German manufacturing, is unusually sensitive to Chinese demand because of the
1: importance of manufacturing? Both Chinese demand and, believe it or not, demand from the UK. Um, We think that Uh, Weakness in breakfast seems to have have hurt demand on that side as well. Right. So those um, that pickup in the Chinese PMI at the start of this week was very important, I think, as a signal for what could happen for Europe. Um, The hope, I think, from Europe is clearly that um, there could be a resolution um, between the U.S. and China with regards to their trade talks. That could then lead to a rebound in investment plans in China, which of course is, is very helpful for German, Dutch, Austrian manufacturers that tend to export capital goods, such as machinery, um, rather than finished articles goods.
0: But not much sign of a, a domestic revival in animal spirits anywhere in Europe?
1: Uh, well, the domestic side hasn't been too bad. Um, it's really been the external side that's been particularly um, weak.
0: Um,
1: if you look at, for example, new car registrations in Europe, which had obviously slumped quite heavily. Uh, last year, they are recovering quite nicely now as finally supply uh, gets back to normal. Remember the the emissions testing backlog that was caused, very much a supply problem rather than a demand uh, problem there. Hmm. The other market event that's been going on
0: uh, is Turkey uh, with a weak currency, with uh, significant depletion of foreign exchange reserves, more political issues. Is this a very local
1: problem or, or could it trigger contagion into other emerging economies? Turkey, I think, is a very special case. I think they they were negatively impacted by uh, concerns around the U.S.-China trade deal, for example, a couple of weeks ago. But uh, the movements that we've seen over the last week are very much uh, Turkey-focused. The local elections went badly for the incumbent government. Um, President Erdogan is now looking uh, a little bit weaker uh, than in the past. But I think all that this really means is that we're unlikely to have snap elections anytime soon. They're going to sort of go for the, the the whole term before the next general elections there instead um it should hopefully focus the minds of the government to um you know look at what they can do with regards to structural reforms and improving their their economic outlook instead of just simply um bashing external investors and, and squeezing the liquidity uh on foreign investors. Uh, which has, of course, caused the the, the volatility in in the Turkish lira. But I I do see this as a local problem.
0: But otherwise, the the view in emerging markets from most of our investors seems to be reasonably constructive,
1: but obviously very dependent on the outlook in China. Yes, and we did have a bit of a pullback um, in the last couple of weeks because um, the talks between China and the US didn't seem to generate the results quickly enough for the markets. Um, but uh, I think progress is continuing on that front. Meanwhile, the data out of China improving, I think, has been very uh, helpful indeed. Uh, I guess the big risk now is if the US and China doesn't come to an agreement by the summer, then I think um, the sentiment will turn again, and that's the big risk. But there is a bit more time for that to work out. There is. I mean, I, there's no need and reason it has to happen by the summer as long as the talks don't break down altogether. Um, I think there will continue to be some constructive uh, allocation towards uh, emerging markets. But more generally, with regards to equities, yes, we have had an improvement in equities. But when you look at positioning data, um, investors are still putting more money into the government bonds right now rather than equities. Uh, there, t- there still seems to be a lot of caution around investing in equities at the moment. Um, if, like I said, uh, China and U.S. trade situation is res- Okay, uh, Azad, thank you very much. We are
0: almost out of time for this week. Let me just pick out a couple of the highlights of what Azad was talking about. On Brexit, uh, we're approaching a point where uh, the events in the UK may have a bigger impact on markets. Uh, Globally, um, to reinforce what Philippe said a week ago, we don't expect a recession in the US in either 2019 or 2020. Uh, We are slightly lower than consensus in our growth forecast. But we do see growth being prolonged at low levels. Uh, Even in Europe, we expect something of a rebound from current miserable rates of growth. Um, But as I'd also talked about, the concerns for equity markets at some point of the slowdown in profits growth caused by the rising cost pressures and companies. So thanks again, Azad. If you want to see the views of the economics team in more detail, I would refer you to the monthly economic and market review. Uh, we're also just about to publish our quarterly market review, giving a bit more background on the first three months of the year. Um, but uh, thank you all for listening. Um, I hope you found this a helpful summary of our macro views. This now concludes our calls. Thank you all for attending. You may now disconnect your lines.